We demystify what goes on behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors podcast with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Welcome back to episode 41 of the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors with Bob Cook and myself, Jackie Jones. And this week, we're going to be talking about how do we work with the angry client? Mm, Interesting. It is, it is. This was one of my big fears, I think, when I first started working in private practice from home. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I've never come across anything untoward while I've been practicing psychotherapy, but I must admit it was one of my main concerns. Well, yeah, I can understand. I think having your own office uh, provides us a level of safety and security. Yeah. New way. Yeah. Uh, I always felt safe when I was practicing from MIP. MIP. Yeah. Because there was always somebody else in the building. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at these types of clients. Now, when people talk about expression of anger or lack of emotional regulation, so the person, I've got something in my mouth, hang on. Oh, that's bad. Um, the most important thing about thing to bring out, I think, is the contract you have with the client in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, we get many people who phone up or over the years want to deal with anger issues. Um, that's absolutely fine. And that's addressed in the contract. Now, I know anger can come out in the therapeutic process and there's other contracts, but quite often people come because they have anger issues or feel overwhelmed with anger issues. And so there's a contract around that. Yes, yeah. And uh, built into that contract, as I hope with the therapist, is what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and spelling out boundaries Yeah. before they even begin. I have that in my contract, definitely, yeah. What do you have? Um, there's something about no physical contact or you know damaging property and things like that. I have been known on the odd occasion to let a client lob a cushion down my hallway. Mm. Um, but yeah, no physical contact whatsoever, basically. Yeah, and that's really in any contract, I think, especially yeah. if you want to take anybody on who's dealing with um and so-called anger issues. I'm glad you said so-called anger issues because a lot of people that come for me with anger issues, they actually say it themselves. Do you know what I mean? I have anger issues. Mm. And it, it's been anxiety or fear that's been underneath. The, it comes out as anger and aggression, but I've not found them to be angry at all. Yeah, well, you're probably talking about a piece of theory I mean, you're trained as a transaction analyst, so you may think this way, I think. Uh, the way you're talking anyway, it's about rackets. Yeah, yeah. Now, for those people listening who aren't TA therapists, uh, might not know what rackets mean. But in the world of TA, a racket is a substitute feeling. Yeah. So if you weren't feeling angry, what would you feel instead? might be a question that you would ask at the contracting stage. Yes, yeah. For example. Yeah. Um, so 
quite often it isn't the presenting anger is the underlying issues the anger is the racket or the substitute feeling yeah. um, and what's underneath that might be sadness fear anxiety frustration yeah any of these underlying processes so that's where you need to get to yes that's what i've found with people that actually come themselves and say i've been told i've got anger issues and i need to come and my wife has said i need to come and speak to somebody because i've got anger issues hmm. so in the contracting contracting is important though yeah oh definitely yeah in terms of keeping yourself safe and what's acceptable what's not yeah. acceptable um boundaries uh written into your contract i hear is yours about and yeah. most been most therapists actually about keeping themselves safe and what's acceptable and what's acceptable. So that, that, that's really important. And anybody comes with anger issues, um, I think the contracting stage is important in that sense. Yes. Um, another aspect about people who may express anger as their major emotion and the other emotions are missing is um, an inquiry into a person's history in terms of what's been modeled down to them. Yeah. Because if anger was the major currency of the day in the family of origin, yeah, then people then they may have taken on that modeling as a way of making contact or solving problems, or in fact as a way of being. Yes. So they may have not had any permission to be sad or to be frustrated or to be frightened or be anxious. And being angry was the major port of call which is why i think the theory of rackets is really interesting in ta yeah because if somebody's got a prominent emotion whatever it is we're talking about anger here then it's the missing emotions which you need to get to yeah i i love the racket system i use that an awful lot with clients yeah mm. and i can i relate to it personally as well you know as, as a, a parent often we say to our kids don't be angry don't be sad so it's like mm. okay i can't be sad and i can't be angry so what can i be i can be scared or i can be happy so we kind of exactly like you say we substitute one feeling or emotion for another one mm. yeah so i think that's really important and in my experience it's usually the hurt injury in the child where you get to the child ego state i'm talking about developmentally yeah uh that is often covered up by expression of anger uh, which i need to get to now as i said it's really important at the beginning here in terms of keeping yourself safe so somebody uh lacks emotional regulation and starts getting angry in a very sort of outrageous way then the therapist needs to move to a keeping themselves calm and also feeding back to them yeah. what their behavior is. So even if you fed back, well, you do, you know, I'm experiencing your behavior is quite scary here. Do you know that? Yeah. Example. Yeah. Because 10 to 1, what they're doing with you, they'll be doing in other relationships. And probably that's why they've come in the first place. Yes. Yeah. I think. The, the only one that springs to mind specifically, and it, it was it was anger, but it, it was specifically about road rage 
that was the reason why he came was road rage. He just loses the plot if anything happens when he's on the road in the car. He was travelling long distances if it was a traffic jam or if somebody cut him up or anything. He would he would feel himself get absolutely irate while he was driving. So you might do a bit of educative therapy there about teaching him how to regulate his emotions. Yeah. That would be one thing if you wanted to do that. Another one would be if you weren't feeling angry in that car, what would you be feeling? And explore that. So I don't know which way you went, but you could do both. Yeah, I think we had lots of conversations. It was, it was funny, I think, I don't know if it was the last one or the one before that, we were talking about art therapy. He was he was very reluctant to talk about a lot of things. It was like, it was hard work with him, let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I ended up saying because he traveled a lot and he was paid for traveling. So he got, you know, a daily rate. So it didn't matter how long he was sat in a traffic jam, he, he got paid. And that was where the conversation went in the end. I was saying, but you get paid the same amount if you stood still in traffic or whether you're humping things up and down stairs. Have you ever thought about it that way, that you're actually being paid by your employer to sit in traffic and listen to a radio or contemplate your navel or whatever you're doing? <laughs> yeah, that's an important technique, reframing. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, working with people who are often angry in the way you described it, it's a really important technique to reframe the way you did there. Yeah. Yeah. I think anger, you know, I have worked with many people with anger reduction. As I say, I usually think of rackets, go to substitute feelings, look at the developmental hurt and look into the feelings underneath the anger. Yeah. Okay. Do you just focus on the anger or do you focus on the situation around which they get angry? And then you always look at well they come together okay so if you say um you know tell me a little bit about you know when you particularly get angry or what triggers you in the here and now where you feel so overwhelmed that you have to be angry and you yeah. can't control that anger um could you tell me a little bit about what triggers you in the here and now yeah if that's what you mean by situation. That's particularly what I was thinking about, you know, certain triggers. I, I work with a lot of um, alienated parents where, you know, they haven't got access to the children and they're really angry towards their ex-partner and get triggered really easy around anything to do with that. Whereas, you know, in other walks of life, they're absolutely fine. So it's quite specific with some people. Yeah, so I suppose number one would be contracting. Yeah. Keep yourself safe, boundaries, what's acceptable and what's acceptable. Yeah. Contract around that. Number two, if a person starts to get angry, keep yourself calm. Yeah. Number three, if they continue to be angry, you need to feed back to them what their behavior is like and how it's impacting them. Yeah. And ask them to change that behavior and also link it in. Uh, well, is this what you're usually like then? Yeah. So you're you know, you're actually getting to some frame of reference in the process in terms of, well, what's happening here? Is that what's happening there? Yeah. And usually when you do that, people 
are able to move to their thinking or their adult place quicker because they put the two and two together. Yeah. Another thing I tend to do with them is ask them, how would I know if you got angry with me in the room? What would I see? That's a good question. Which kind of gets them to really think about the behaviour and, and mm. what goes on in the body or sort of thing. You mm. know, like if I said something now and you were angry at me, what, what would happen? What would I see? Mm. That's right. So that's another good way. Um, I usually head developmentally, though. Yeah. So I want to find out, well, you know, was it modelled to you to be angry, yeah. to get your needs met? Um, when you were angry, were other needs not um, seen? Yeah. Did you have to be angry to, you know, get heard and understood? If you weren't angry, what would happen? So... I do a lot of developmental work and usually, as I said, the, the anger usually is a racket or it's modelled down to them as a way of getting their needs met. Yeah. And often anger sometimes, especially with borderline clients, for example, when there's a borderline switch, which is usually involving, extra, you know, um, anger or, you know, um, frustration or attacking transactions at the therapist it actually usually is a real desire to make contact but they don't know how to do it yeah i found that with a lot of the foster kids that we had it was their only way of communication sometimes oh. i think it's really important for a therapist to do that developmental work but i do want to stress that if the if this person is getting angry in their room you know in the room I think it's really important for the therapist to uh, say that transaction I said earlier, is this the anger issues that you're talking about that you've come into this therapy to resolve? Because actually you're, the way you're behaving now, I feel quite scared. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Yeah. So you're shifting them to thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because touching on what you were saying then as a, a form of communication you know the the strokes any stroke is better than no stroke so you can imagine a young child if they got attention for being angry or having a tantrum or throwing something that then becomes kind of internalized that that's if you're not listening to me this is what i'm going to do to get your attention oh, that's right and in the process other needs can often be missed yeah yeah and i think if one person you know comes to therapy with one expression of emotion it usually means that other parts of the self or other emotions are hidden yes so you need to get to what's beneath the anger yeah when you get to the hurt part of the self and you start dealing with that usually um, the healing happens there and then the anger can well the anger dissipates or because the real feelings get dealt with yes yeah that's the developmental approach if you stay in the here and now you definitely i think it's important to contract and keep yourself safe keep yourself calm reframe the process if you're still having problems go to supervision talk yeah. to 
talked to uh, the colleagues about it. Um, and at the last analysis, if you still can't get through that process, you can always terminate the, um, the say, well, I find it quite hard to work with you because you you don't listen to the contract we make. You keep doing XXX. It's quite scary working with you. Quite Are you aware of that? And all those things don't work. Yeah. And pass them on. Yeah. Yeah, and it, again, that's it. And I, th I think, you know, your own safety has to be paramount in that situation. You can't be putting yourself at risk, exactly like you said, in a, a therapy room. Mm. Um, My experience, though, nearly always is that if, I, if you go developmental, yeah, help them understand how the past affects the present, yeah, you usually get to the feelings which are underneath the anger. Yeah. You, you did mention something I think also is really important, another tack as well, is helping them identify the triggers in the present um, so they can work out how the past affects the present and how the present affects the past so they connect the two. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was something else I was thinking then. Oh, yeah, I know we're talking about the angry client or clients who, you know, with lack of emotional regulation. But there are some clients who find it really hard to express anger. Oh, that's, which yeah. Which is completely the opposite. But it is an interesting one because you do get clients who come and say they have anger issues, yeah? And when they walk in, you can tell they have anger issues because, how can I explain this to you? There's a sort of passive-aggressive stance. Yeah. And the best way to, the best metaphor I can think about is a pressure cooker. Yeah. And usually I say to them, you know, you seem quite angry, even though you're you, you're talking, you know, in in a in a quite a calm way or whatever way I say it. But but you know, do you ha have a situation like a pressure cooker, where there's a lot going on in your pressure cooker? Yeah, and you're attempting to keep it all in, and then something could happen. Then it comes out like a intense fury. Yes, and I help them. I help those. I help people look at what's in their pressure cooker, because most people don't want to. I mean, the example you gave in the car is an interesting, but you, you know, people don't want to uh, be angry. No, usually they want to try and solve this. I think, as I've just said, the developmental way. Also, and another interesting question to ask yourself, um, who's, is, whose anger is it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, particularly when you were talking earlier on about how it was modelled and how emotional regulation was modelled and things like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so they may have been brought into an angry household. The yeah. father uses anger as a way um, dealing, getting control, for example, or, yeah. or solving problems, and then the child thinks that's the only way to, you know, act or behave or feel in the situation, and they sort of take on the significant other's, you know, actual anger, and yeah. it's not theirs anyway. Yeah, that that's quite an interesting concept to try and explain to a client. Sometimes it's. Mm -hmm. It's a slow burner, that one, I find. <laughs> well, I think if, if, if people listening to this podcast think developmentally and help the person look at how the past affects the present, yeah, then you're going to get there, aren't you? Yeah, cool. yeah. 
flashing of lights have started to appear. Hello, it's like the illuminations. Yeah, they are. <laughs> We're having a disco, yeah. Bob. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. For those yeah, that I'm, are listening. Hold on, one minute. <laughs> I've got, uh, got discos. Let's see if this is better. For those that are listening and can't actually see it on the video, Bob's lights are flashing on and off. It's oh, like there's a bit of a disco going on in his kitchen. Yeah, what's happened? Oh, I don't know. What's happened? Uh, anyway, let's hope that's solved the problem. I'm back again from the people who are watching me on a video. <laughs> people listening to me. Somebody got... doesn't like you talking about <laughs> anger. That's what it is. Yeah, I haven't got angry about it yet. No. Uh, so going back. So I think that... Developmental is really important to think about whose anger it is. Yeah. Well, that's another road to go down. And usually if those two connections add up, then the client can give back the anger that wasn't theirs in the first place. Yeah, because learning how to regulate our emotions is a developmental thing. There is a period of time where we, we learn, you know, how to express our emotions appropriately. And if, if it's not handled well at that age, then how are we supposed to know what is okay and what isn't okay? Yeah, so you might actually, as they make those connections, teach them that. Yeah. So there's a lot to do in therapy, uh, I think, with people who come specifically with anger issues or and it comes up in the therapeutic process. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, for people listening, the therapist stroke counsellor safety is paramount. So if you really can't get through this, whether to think of helping the person developmentally through this, taking it to supervision, uh, talking about the issues with them, then you need to, you know, not continue. You need to stick to the boundaries, the contract that you've set up. Yeah. That, that means referring on. Uh, it's really important you do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't know any statistics about anger towards clients. It's not something that I looked up before. Um, I'd like to think there isn't many instances of actual physical aggression within the therapy room. No, I mean, I work for 30 odd years. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, you know, in many cases, their anger might be valid. Yeah. You know, that's the other things. If you start, but you need to start tracing back to the context of all this yeah so if you you know whether you work relationally or not you know might work relationally and say well what i do is that i feed back to the person in the relationship in the room if they're starting to get too angry at unacceptable levels that i'm feeling scared and are you aware of this and this is and these are the issues that you come out in the first place and that can get perhaps to the um here and now issues about failures in relationships and what they, yeah. you know, what they do in acting out in other circumstances, or you can go developmentally and as they start putting these two connections together, and they start healing at the feelings which are under the surface, then the anger dissipates in in the present, or you can teach them triggers. But if none of those processes uh, work and you feel you you can't go any further, would then you need to um, end it? Yeah. Yeah, for both parties, because if what you're doing isn't helping any, then it's, you know, it's obviously outside of your skill set and it's only, you know, it's ethical, really, to to refer on. Mm. Yeah. 
emotions are very complex anyway at the best of time <laughs> that's right and i always feel like with people who feel trapped and um find it very hard to uh express any other types of emotions so you know relationships break down for example i think it is important to come to therapy and explore them but there needs to be a well worked out contract yeah and not just to especially with these clients not just to you know go willy-nilly into it have a contract worked out and yeah what's it all about and that'll give you the space to do the developmental work to trace it back look at the connections past and present look at the triggers yeah. before you go any further you've got yeah. an actual contract in place yeah and it's important to discuss that contract as well and why why it's there the, the purpose of it yeah and i, I absolutely and you said something very important at the, right at the beginning and that was about working at home yeah now if any if you don't want to see people with anger issues at home don't yeah that's not to people who work in offices where there's people around yeah and the other thing which is again i don't know if you you hear but you perhaps can give me some information about this but if i if i was a supervisor and somebody worked at home and they were talking about working with some of the anger issues i'd talk about well have you you know if you don't know this person for example and you haven't worked out contracts or even if you have have you got um you know have you got it worked out so people know that you're in the room working that you've got a maybe even a button that you could press and yeah. all these sorts of things so the safeguarding and safety issues for yourself yeah are taken into consideration yeah I, I was going to mention that about having a panic button, do you know what I mean, and, and things like that. But in the early days, when, when I was, you know, newly qualified and working from home, I think I was much more nervous about it than, you know, potentially what I am now. Apart from I'm, I'm only working online now, so that's not a problem. But, yeah, I think as time goes on, you get more of a sense of the person when mm. you meet them. Yeah. Mm. Oh. yeah like that pressure cooker you you know the sometimes i suppose it is anxiety when people are twitching and and things like that but you can usually tell when somebody's got that pressure cooker thing where they are starting to get quite angry with you yeah and i think it's very good practice to um tell peers where you are yeah to you know, if you if you live alone, particularly, I think it is good practice if you can have somebody yeah. just have a panic button or some ways to talk to your supervisor about this. Yeah. Or to just work alone in your house with people with anger issues. I without these considerations being talked about uh, with your supervisor. Uh, you're right. I don't know the statistics either. They're probably very rare, and they're really important to talk about with your supervisor. Yeah. And I think you you again you've raised a really valid point there that as psychotherapists, it's okay for us to pick and choose who we want to work with. Absolutely. It's okay for us to work with certain people and not with other people. And that's not to say that anybody can't get angry at any point, you know, so we can never be a hundred percent sure. But it's okay to choose not to work with males that have got anger issues if you're a female working on their own at home 
Absolutely. And of course, when you're working with clients, you know, as they're working developmentally, then those anger issues might come up, you know, as you go down the onion and they're angry because of very valid reasons. Yeah. You can help them, you know, express their anger in a, in a safe way, yeah. in a safe setting. Yeah. That's a different process because yes. the you know, the angers come up in the therapy de development, you've got a relationship and everything else. But if a stranger walks in and says they want to work on therapy issues, I think you need to really think about it in terms yeah. of what we've just been talking about. Yeah. And again, you know, what you said then about, you know, the relationship, I think that's really important, you know, because it's a fine line in allowing a client to express the emotions freely in the room and know what isn't acceptable in the room as well. And, and I think that, again, is through the relationship that you build with your clients. And the contract. Yes, yeah. See, I really liked what you had in your contract at the beginning. Uh, I don't know whether you actually give them the contract on a piece of paper yes. or something. Yeah, we I sign it and they sign it. It's kind of yeah. done deal. <laughs> but then you don't, you know, you know, damage furniture, property. You don't all the yeah. things we just talked about. Yeah, you've got a contractual process to be able to stop the process in a yes a way. But I do think it's important to think talk about these things with your supervisor. Definitely, yeah. But you're feeling comfortable or intuitively feel comfortable in any way at all. Yeah. Yeah, and trust your instincts. If you feel uneasy with somebody, then it's okay to not see them. It, it's you know, it's a prerogative that we have. Yeah. Thank you for that, Bob. That was really interesting. Good place to stop. It is a good place to stop. Um, emotions and anger and things like that are perfectly human. You know, we can all do it at certain times. We've all experienced it. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing next time? Is silence. Silence. I was so scared of silence when I first started, Bob. The use that, of silence in the therapy room. Uh, that was one thing that I really didn't didn't sit well with me in the early days. So that's what we're going to be talking about: the use of silence in therapy. Yeah. Okay. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode.